projection in the battle for control of Congress with huge, huge consequences here in Washington and indeed across the nation. CNN projects that Republicans will win control of the U.S. House of Representatives, reclaiming a majority for the first time in four years. This is a major blow to Democrats as Republicans gain new power to potentially limit President Biden's agenda and to make crucial decisions about House investigations. Let's go to Manu Raju up on Capitol Hill. This is a major development right now. The Republicans take the majority in the House, Manu. Yeah, and with that, the power of the committees and the power to set the agenda, which is why this is hugely significant. Even though it is not as big of a majority as Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, had wanted, they had hoped that they would be in the 230-seat range, maybe even 240-seat range. We don't know the final numbers here, but we do know that they have at least 218 seats. That is the majority to take back the House. They would may have up to 220. We'll see ultimately how many they have, but significant, because once you have the majority in the U.S. House, you have the chairmanships. And you as a member of the House, speaking for the people of San Francisco, serving the great state of California and defending our Constitution. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. With these elections, the people stood in the breach and repelled the assault on democracy. They resoundingly rejected violence and insurrection, and in doing so, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 18th of November, year of our Lord, 2022. Got the mic fixed. It's all about cold, so I'm taking it upstairs when I get done recording. And I plugged it into the back of the computer. For some reason, it's sounding better now, so we're going to go with it. That's our intro with NBC and CNN, sadly, and the Wicked Witch of the West going bye-bye, which brings us into a new era that's going to be a lot of this. Does, it, does the FBI have confidential human sources? Uh, did the FBI have confidential human sources embedded within the January 6th protesters on January 6th of 2021? Well, Congressman, as I'm sure you can appreciate, I have to be very careful about what I can say about when. Even now, because that's what you I, told us two I years ago. May I finish? Uh, about when we do and do not, and where we have and have not used confidential human sources. Uh, but to the extent that there's a suggestion, for example, that the FBI's confidential human sources or FBI employees in some way 
instigated or orchestrated January 6th, that's categorically false. Did you have confidential human sources dressed as Trump supporters inside the Capitol on January the 6th prior to the doors being opened? Again, I had to be very careful. It should be a no. Can you not tell the American people? No, we did not have confidential human sources dressed as Trump supporters positioned inside the Capitol. Gentlemen's time has expired. You should not read anything into my decision uh, not to share information. Director Ray, gentlemen's time has expired. Do you continue to maintain that the border is secure? Yes, and we are working day in and day out to enhance its security, Congressman. Right. Whistleblowers who have come forward to members of this body, to members of the House, the FBI has been sending more than, in one instance, a dozen armed agents to a rural Pennsylvania home of a Catholic pro-life demonstrator to arrest him at gunpoint in front of his children in early morning hours, despite the fact that he posed no risk of violence or threat and had previously offered to turn himself in. Numerous whistleblowers, field agents, have alleged that D.C., your headquarters, has pulled them off working on child sex abuse cases, working on human trafficking cases, in order to work on January 6th matters for this reason, to give the appearance, they say, they say, that there are hundreds of new domestic terrorism cases in the country, when in fact there are not. Whistleblowers, field agents have also said that D.C. has ordered the use of SWAT teams on nonviolent suspects who may have attended a January 6th rally, and they have been ordered to conduct surveillance and knock on doors of people who were not even in D.C. on January 6th. And again, all of this, according to the whistleblowers, these are your agents, all of this in order to make it look as if there's a mass surge in domestic terrorism all across the country when, in fact, the stats are being padded by political directive in your office. They also say, these whistleblowers, the D.C. leadership deliberately suppressed investigations into Hunter Biden, contrary to FBI procedure, and have also retaliated against FBI agents and whistleblowers who have contacted Congress, which, by the way, they are protected by statute to do so. This is what's happening at your FBI while you are evading oversight hearings. Mr. Director, do you think you're still up to this job? I absolutely think I'm still up to this job, and I think our workforce feels the same way. Well, I don't. And frankly, I think you should have been gone a long time ago. And given your behavior recently, I think it only makes it more clear. Are there any travel plans today that we should be aware of that you have? We're supposed to have a second round. Will you be here for that? Yes. In a report two weeks ago, <clears throat> Judiciary Committee, a report that uh, talked about the political influence and the political shenanigans going on in our Justice Department, Based on 14 FBI agents who've come talk to our office as, as whistleblowers, one of those agents said, and this is the term he used, he said, at the highest levels of the FBI, specifically the Washington field office, he said it's rotted to the core. Not talking about rank and file agents. They're doing good, good work. Talking about the top people at the Washington field office. We are releasing a report today that details what we have uncovered. We are also sending letters to the Biden administration officials and Biden family associates renewing our request for voluntary production of documents relevant to this investigation. This is an investigation of Joe Biden, the President of the United States, and why he lied to the American people about his knowledge and participation in his family's international business schemes. National security interests require the committee conduct investigation, and we will pursue all avenues, avenues that have long been ignored. Committee Republicans have uncovered evidence of federal crimes committed by and to the benefit of members of the President's family. These include Conspiracy or defrauding the United States, wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, 
violation of the Foreign Agents Registration Act, violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, violations of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, tax evasion, money laundering, and conspiracy to commit money laundering. The Biden family's business dealings implicate a wide range of criminality from human trafficking to potential violations of the Constitution. In the 118th Congress, this committee will evaluate the status of Joe Biden's relationship with his family's foreign partners and whether he is a president who is compromised or swayed by foreign dollars and influence. I want to be clear. This is an investigation of Joe Biden. And that's where the committee will focus in this next Congress. I now turn. And I know those are long. Those are long bites, but I had to play it because finally, finally, we're going to have some oversight of the people that were overseeing everything, but surprisingly not overseeing themselves, of course. They're not looking at the president. They're not looking at anything. But you know the media. This is going to be long, and it's going to last a long time. Here's just one soundbite of them fawning over Pelosi. And just think of the things, of the moments, the way she counteracted Donald Trump. She became the single strongest opponent to Donald Trump when he was president, tearing the speech. Let's see if we can pull up some of those pictures, those incredible pictures, with the State of the Union speech, again, often wearing that white suit, symbolic, of course, for the whole women's movement, going back to Seneca Falls, and tearing up the speech at the State of the Union, you remember that? And also pointing to the president and walking out there. We've got the picture of her just throwing down the speech. And everyone was just, you know, shocked by it. But also many were cheering the fact that she was simply ripping through the copy of the speech that was such a, a controversial State of the Union speech from the new president. And so Pelosi making a nod to all of those as she stood there in that iconic white pantsuit that we have seen her wear time and again at these momentous historical inflection points, a nod to the suffragettes and the women's movement. I was also struck there too, and you and I and Kristen Welker, all of us, were talking about this, the important moments legislatively that she led on the battlefield here in Congress, talking about passing the Affordable Care Act under Barack Obama. She was so integral to the passage of that legislation. Everyone who was involved at the time says it could not have been done without someone like Speaker Pelosi at the fore of the Democratic conference moving that legislation along. And then, of course, the work that she's done over the course of the pandemic. Yeah, it's going to go on for a long time. We're never going to see the rest of it, it or the end of it. It is just out of control. So Trump um, came back, and before we get there, it's very interesting that we live in a world right now that, you know, surprisingly, um, we find out things after things are done. By that, um, and I don't have a slide for it, uh, we find out that Paul Pelosi did open the door. Um, we find out the body cam shows that, and it didn't come out till after the 
election. So, you know, we find out all the Trump shit that they went to Mar-a-Lago was bullshit. Um, there was nothing. He had nothing. But they didn't put that out before the election. They already did his campaign speech. And here you go. They're already fact-checking again. We didn't do that forever. It's almost like Papam Young's here. We find out Rudy Giuliani didn't do anything wrong in Ukraine. We find out that there were eight FBI informants on January 6th. We find out that the January 6th committee was told, we're not going to talk about anything but Trump. So we really don't really care about it. As Kyle Becker tweets, so to recap, the Intel community knew extremists planned to attack on January 6th. FBI and embeds with their plans. Trump wanted more security. Pelosi did nothing to do it. D.C. mayor fought it. CP opened doors for them, and Trump supporters got framed as insurrectionists. That's what happened. These are all things we know, but just like we have a vaccine... We don't know that till the end of the campaign. But I think it was just amazing that all this came out, and I wanted to pop a link. Donald Trump, who tried to overturn, everybody tried to come up with their worst soundbite about Trump's announcement. And they're back. They, they didn't do it. They're going to do it for Biden. Biden's a good guy. Trump, a bad guy. But the guy I want to go had a soundbite this week, and I want to play it up front. Because I think this is what we need to be looking for in our next non-prog candidate. One of the things I've learned, like learned in this job, is um, uh, when you're do when you're leading, when you're getting getting things done. Yeah, you take incoming fire. That's just the nature of it. Uh, I roll out of bed in the morning. I've got corporate media outlets that have a spasm, just the fact that I'm getting up in the morning. And it's constantly attacking. And this is just what's happened. I don't think any governor got attacked more, particularly by corporate media, than me over my four-year term. And yet, I think what you, what you learn is all that's just noise. And really what matters is are you leading? Are you getting in front of issues? Uh, are you delivering results for people, and are you standing up for folks? And if you do that, then none of that stuff matters. And, and that's what we've done. We focused on results and leadership. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I would just uh, tell people to go check out the scoreboard from last Tuesday night. It was measured. It was presidential. I think going back to the Trump well is really fucking stupid. You're just going to get them fortifying, cheating, and pushing them down. I mean, look what just happened in our election. Every uh, attorney general race that was an election denier did not get elected. The left and the media have been able to brainwash the people that somehow election denying is a new thing. It's not a new thing. We know it's not a new thing. That's all the left ever does. The left is one big election denier. I mean, this week, well, two things. What disgusts me even more than the election denial is the fact that people forgot this. 
people literally locked the country down and turned a pandemic into a religious fervor. But this week, Chuck Todd called the GOP a cult. And then Caitlin Collins on CNN, you'll see these back-to-back, literally said Whitmer should run for president. Looking for. Do you think it's time for a change in leadership among Senate Republicans? Do you think it's time for Senator McConnell to step down? You know, I'm actually going to support Mitch. I think Mitch kind of pulled the chestnuts out of the fire for candidates who, for whatever reason, were having a difficult time raising the money that, that as you pointed out, was required to have a winning campaign. Uh, and I think um, uh, uh, going forward, Mitch will be our leader. But that is not to say that we're not going to have a necessary debate about ideas. And I think it's, it's, it's very, again, one more time, important for us to explain to the American voter why Republicans have a better vision for the future of our country. I guess I ask this, if if this is the result of these elections, but the Republican Party still has sort of the same leadership at RNC, Ronna McDaniel, Kevin McCarthy of House Republicans, Mitch McConnell of Senate Republicans, and of course Donald Trump is sort of the, the leader out there. If there's no change there, um, do you think that's a problem for Republicans going forward? First, we're not a cult. We're not like, okay, there's one person who leads our party. If we have a sitting president, she or he will be the leader of our party. But we should be a party of ideas and principles. And that's what should lead us. And I will go back. What we've been lacking, perhaps, is that, dis- that, that fulsome discussion followed up with the policy initiatives that we work to pass that will define who we are. Again, we are not going to have one person anointed uh, unless she or he happens to be a sitting president. We should have a set of principles and ideas and legislative accomplishments that is our lodestar, if you will. That's where we need to go. I understand that's where you should go. How do you get the party there? Because you know how hard it is. You know the base of this party still uh, loves Donald Trump. Or do you think that this, this midterm could break that spell? You know, elections are about winning. And so if folks want to look at these election results and decide that's where you want us to continue to be, then, then we're not going to do well. If people are going to look at these election results and say, hey, listen, the Republicans have established themselves, ourselves, as Republicans in your state have said they'd like to fight that. On another note, you've been asked a lot in almost basically every interview you've done recently about a 2024 run and running for president. You've said you're not interested in it. I guess my question is, if you're a supporter of yours and you're someone who who doesn't live in Michigan but is national and wants to see you run, what is the argument for you not running for president? You know, I literally eight days ago got elected to a second four-year term. This is... And while they're doing this, the biggest scandal since Bernie Madoff and Enron happened. And he was a predominantly Democrat guy who admitted in text, which I don't know if the Ben Shapiro clip hits it, but he admitted in text that he just basically lied about all the left altruism because it's how you get left alone. It's all a game, which... You and I know that. We know most of these people who virtue signal and say this, that, or the other thing. It's all bullshit. They don't actually believe the crap. They don't believe there's 99 fucking pronouns in a bitch ain't one. They don't believe that. 
They just say it because that's how you stay on the good graces and don't get fucked with on social media. But this happened. 90% of the money went back to Dems. $50 million went into this very election. Nothing is going to happen about this. And I'm going to lead you straight in to the worst soundbite I've ever heard. But it ties into FDX. These are the people that call us a cult and then a daughter does this at a funeral. The story of Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX is really a story not just about capitalist excesses, but about corporatist excesses. It's about the fact that when there is an impression that government is going to back your play, people are willing to give you enormous sums of money and how people who are involved in this sort of play spend extraordinary giant piles of cash on their favorite legislators. Sam Bankman-Fried, the way the media is going to play this is that Sam Bankman-Fried is a quasi-libertarian who is determined, bound and determined to avoid regulation at all costs. And finally, if we just regulate these guys, we need to have a hero, a hero, a regular Elizabeth Warren to crack down on Sam Bankman-Fried. There's only one problem with this particular narrative. Sam Bankman-Fried is one of the biggest Democratic donors on the block. He spent $40 million on Democrats in the last election cycle, in the midterm election cycle. So basically, there was an associated firm, Alameda Research, which was sort of like a hedge fund. And it turns out that Bankman-Fried was taking money from FTX, your exchange, and taking it and putting it into Alameda Research, which was run, as it turns out, by Sam Bankman-Fried's girlfriend. Okay, then that money was being used in Alameda Research to buy back into FTX via their token. Okay, so they were basically using your money to hold up their own stock price, was essentially what they were doing. They were using your money to hold up the valuation of their own company. Now, as it turns out, one of the companies that had bought a big chunk of FTX was a company called Binance. Binance happens to be the largest crypto exchange in the world. So FTX was the second largest crypto exchange. Binance was the number one crypto exchange. Binance had bought a big chunk of FTX. And they bought really a lot of FTT. They bought a bunch of, of FTX's Bitcoin, a bunch, of their, a bunch of their cryptocurrency. Well, Binance decided now's an excellent time to basically destroy our competitor. So they sold all of their FTT, right? All of their token in FTX. It collapsed the value of that token. And people started to run on FTX, essentially. They started saying, cash me out and give me my money. Well, the money didn't exist. Finance had suggested that then, then they did the final thing. Now, the final straw was they said, we will come and we will bail out FTX. And this is last week. They said, we'll bail out FTX. And then within 48 hours, like, well, not too much. And they pulled all their money from FTX and FTX completely collapsed and went bankrupt. And that is when Bankman-Fried finally admitted that this thing is going to go completely belly up and people are going to lose billions and billions of dollars. And now it is unclear exactly where Sam Bankman-Fried is. There's a rumor that he was going to flee to Argentina. He says he is still in the Bahamas. There's speculation over whether he's going to be prosecuted, what laws he broke. It turns out, according to Axios, the terms and conditions from the, from the, the currency exchange, from, from FTX, the terms and conditions said he wasn't allowed to shift money from FTX formally into Alameda Research, which again was his girlfriend's hedge fund. So it looks like a prosecution may well be on the way. But the real story of Sam Bankman-Fried is way more interesting than this because it's not just another bilking of investors. Instead, it is really about how somebody attempted to blue wash himself. This was a guy who worked hand in glove with Democrats in order to structure regulation that benefited him at the expense of his competitors. And then his competitors decided to finish him off because of that. There's a reason that Sam Bankman-Fried, in his 
late 20s, was appearing on stage in like gym shorts and a T-shirt with Bill Clinton. By the way, good rule of thumb. Anybody on stage with Bill Clinton, sell your stock in that company immediately. If it's Elizabeth Holmes, if it's Sam Bankman-Fried, doesn't matter. They appear on stage with Bill Clinton, sell your stock like right now. It's an amazing thing. Miranda Devine has a good piece over at the New York Post about this. She says, amid all the jubilation and gloating by Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer and pals over the Democrats better than expected showing in the midterms comes a truly disturbing story, which may explain something about how they won such a curious election. Biden's second biggest donor, cryptocurrency billionaire wunderkind Sam Bankman-Fried, aka SBF, saw his business file for bankruptcy days after the election, but not before pumping $40 million into the Democratic Party to spend on get-out-the-vote and other shadowy ballot harvesting mechanics for the midterms. He was the most famous millennial adherent of a cult known as effective altruism, which originated at Oxford University, found fertile ground in Silicon Valley, and now has gone down in flames along with him. Effective altruism, of course, is the idea that you become very, very wealthy and then you spend on a bunch of left-wing causes and this makes the world a better place. In a NAS Daily online video, an awkward bankman fruit was featured this year as a role model of altruism for young people. Quote, Sam is not a traditional billionaire because he believes in the concept of earn to give. Next decade, he'll probably give away more than $10 million. He wants to get rich in order to impact the world and change it. SBF certainly impacted the midterms. He funded his millions into the Democratic National Committee and Democrat-friendly PACs, such as Protect Our Future and Guarding Against Pandemics. He donated to committees aligned with Pelosi and Schumer. He lavished his largesse on pro-crypto Democrats, like New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, who is sponsoring a bill to lock the SEC out of regulating the crypto market. He visited the White House. He met with top Biden advisor Steve Reschetti in both April and May. Meanwhile, the media massaged his profile. He was on the cover of both Forbes and Fortune. It draws in a lot of charlatans, said uh, Warren Buffett about his product, where people who are of less than stellar character see an opportunity to clip people who are trying to get rich because their neighbor is getting rich buying this stuff that neither one of them understand. It'll come to a bad end. SPF appeared with Bill Clinton and Tony Blair at international crypto summits. He cut ads at the Super Bowl with Tom Brady and Larry David. Another altruistic venture by SPF was having FTX back a cryptocurrency donation website launched by the Ukrainian government. He suggested that essentially everybody can now give 25 bucks to somebody in a crypto fund over in Ukraine. The World Economic Forum loved SPF so much, they made FTX a corporate partner. They've now disappeared that part of their page. All of this is, um, is really, really shady stuff. And it gets even shadier, actually, because as it turns out, he was behind the scenes lobbying the government in order to regulate basically all of his rivals. And this is the part of the story where you get into the corporatism. So Bankman Fried had made friends with all of the best people in democratic politics. He was taking all of the money that he'd been given and he was tossing it back at democratic politicians. And then he was drawing up regulation that was very friendly to him. This is the reason, by the way, why he was undercut by CZ. Right? The reason why his company collapsed is because his chief rival looked at him and they said, you're, regulate, you're looking to regulate this industry to your own benefit and at my detriment. So what if I just destroy you? That's why this whole thing fell apart. According to the Wall Street Journal, Bankman Fried is himself facing federal probes now. He has described the decision to use customer funds as a poor judgment call, according to someone close to the matter. But this is not a poor judgment call. It was obvious what he was doing. The whole thing was basically a, a giant pyramid scheme. He was taking money into FDX, which is an, a legit service. And then he was taking that money and he was pouring it into Alameda Research. Alameda Research run by his quasi-girlfriend, who's then using that money in order to buy up the token coin that was backing FTX, propping up the value with the customer. But dad, please know that while I'm grateful and highly aware of all that you've given this family, I still don't miss you. When you died, I felt like there was a hole. I missed something, but it wasn't you. It was the idea of what you could become. 
I miss being able to hope and wish that one day you turn a corner and see the world from my perspective. I miss the idea that one day you might help me fight for the things that matter. I missed my fantasy of you. Because when you died, it solidified the fact that you'll never be what you could have been, but only what you are. And what you are is a racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, Trump-loving, cis-straight white man. That is all you will ever be to me. And Dad, before you tell me to respect the dead, please remember that you disrespected and disregarded the lives and deaths of entire communities of people with your ideology. You told me to never back down, so I won't. You know for a fact that even against you, I'm not afraid to share my peace. You are everything I aspire not to be, and I refuse to stand up here and sing the praises of a man who is the paradigm of white supremacy. So I'll take your racist mindset, I'll take your money, and I'll take your advice. And I swear to God I will make this world a better place, not at all because of you, but in exact opposition to you. That is the most hateful thing I've ever seen. Just hateful. But that's what they're breeding. This is what we are breeding in our country. This is what the left wants. They don't want families. They want you broken. That happened this week. And I tweeted when it happened. It was going to go off the air within a day. And it did. Then I want you to go back to in the summer when I wasn't doing a whole lot of podcasts because I was really sick, even though I still am really sick, but I was sicker. We had the great replacement theory. And this week, remember, it was against cons. You can't say great replacement. Here's the number one dim in the Senate with the great replacement theory yesterday. Because Democrats had a strong agenda here and did things for the American people, we won. And despite the negativity and divisiveness, the threats of violence and even the violence itself that occurred with MAGA Republicanism dominating the country, the American people stepped back from the precipice and chose progress and getting things done rather than the voices of divisiveness, nastiness, and lack of complete truth and honor. Now more than ever, we're short of workers. Uh, we have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only way we're going to have a great future in America is if we welcome and embrace immigrants, the dreamers, and all of them, because our ultimate goal is to help the dreamers but get a path to citizenship for all 11 million or however many undocumented there are here. Spitting hate. Just spitting hate against his adversaries. And then he talks about letting all 11 million, which is 20 million, now with O'Biden... It's 24 million illegals. That doesn't even count all the gotaways that we don't even know. Just spitting hate. But yeah, you can't say that. So as you know, we lost. Carrie Lake lost. And it's a good thing for America, they say. David French. This is Maricopa doing political shit. 
Because remember, the person she ran against actually was running the election, which you know would not happen if she was a conservative. Washington Post and everybody says disinformation talking about slow counts. It's, it's You can't talk about slow counts. That's disinformation. That's, that's election denying. So the media was very, very happy that Carrie Lake lost. Mark, let's talk about what we've learned from, for instance, what's happened out in Maricopa County, what's left out there in terms of how the vote keeps, you know, coming in. Despite all of what has been said by Donald Trump and other election deniers and now beginning to be also Kelly Ward, who's falling behind, behind uh, you know, Katie Bob, Hobbs, but for the governor's race, Maripona, Maricopa County has some of the best vote counting processes because of past problems. Yeah, Andrea, they have a whole lot of practice, and we have a whole lot of practice watching the Arizona returns. We saw this in 2018, we saw it in 2020, and we're seeing it again in 2022. And what ends up going on is there's this ping pong of like where the votes are in particular counties, and even in counties like Maricopa, and that's uh, the Phoenix area, you end up having Republican pockets and Democratic pockets, and then different kind of vote methods on some are stronger for Republicans and Democrats. Last night was supposed to be a really good batch of votes for Carrie Lake, the Republican running, and she ended up winning them, but not by the margins that you need to be able to have. And with Katie Hobbs now having a 26,000 vote margin for Carrie Lake to be able to win the remaining returns. We're going to begin in Arizona, the winner in Arizona. CNN is projecting that Democrat Katie Hobbs has defeated Republican Carrie Lake in the governor's race. Lake has been one of the country's most prominent and outspoken defenders of Trump's lies about the 2020 election. Blake will join a growing list of Republicans this election season who campaigned on election lies and they lost. That includes two other high profile election deniers in the same state, Republican Senate nominee Blake Masters and the Secretary of State nominee Mark Fincham. Now, Hobbs characterized her victory as a win for democracy. Lake, on the other hand, is already starting the grift. This is a quote from her. Arizonans know BS when they see it. Well, that is apparently true since voters rejected her and so many other liars. Obviously, her tweet is the BS here. There is no evidence of fraud. There's no evidence of wrongdoing. It is a grift that so many Americans rejected at the ballot this year. But I'm sorry that I'm a realist. And these very same people who spend their days on Twitter upset that they don't get their free shit anymore. There are hundreds of testimonials about how the left, because they wanted to win the election, knew that they had gotten a shitload of mail-in ballots. So how do you win on election day? You suppress the same day. You have faulty machines with actual testimonies of people who watch people come in, work on the machine, and then they stop working. No paper ballots, no tabulators, people in long, long lines, so they'll hopefully not stay. And here's just 10 short vignettes of people talking about how the Democratic Party disenfranchised them.
heaven. Give us this day. I want all of you to say a prayer right now, because there's a bunch of people who were here with us two years ago who are right now in the D.C. Gulag being tortured. A whole bunch of people are being tortured in cages in D.C. right now who are here with us two years ago. So everybody say a prayer for those innocent people being tortured. Guess what? Then we can have free and fair elections again in the state of Arizona. We the people are requesting military step in and redo our election. It was fake and false. It's full. Our government is full of corrupt people. This is how mob and nobody should fear a federal government trying to label you a terrorist because you believe in strict adherence to the Constitution. Hi, my name is Steve Kearns. I live in Litchfield Park. Uh, my wife and I went to vote on November 8th for the midterm elections. We went to our closest voting center, which is 10647 Church of Litchfield Park. When we arrived at the voting center, the workers told us that the Printers at that location were all broken, uh, that they couldn't print any ballots at that location, and they asked us to go to a different uh, voting center. So we went to the next closest one, which was voting center 11682, which is the Litchfield Park First Baptist Church. When we arrived at that voting center, the line was about 40 people long, and as we were waiting in line, we were observing uh, people running their ballots into the scanning machines. And we noticed that about two out of every three people that tried to scan their ballots that just wouldn't scan their ballot. And they would try it a couple times, it wouldn't scan, and they were forced to put it, their ballots in drawer three. Uh, when we got up to uh, get our ballots, we scanned our IDs, uh, we walked over, we got our, our printed ballots, we went in, filled out our ballots, and we stood in line to scan our ballots in. My wife, uh, turn, she went up, she scanned hers the first time, it didn't read her ballot the first time, but when she tried it a second time, it actually read her ballot, and she was good. When I went up, I scanned my ballot, it didn't read it, I tried a couple more times, it didn't read it. They asked me to try their backup scanner, because they only had two scanners. Uh, I tried the backup scanner and it didn't read it either. And they told me at that point my only option was to spoil that ballot, have a new ballot printed, try that, and if that didn't work then my only option was to put it in drawer 3. So I tried that, it still didn't work, and they told me my only option was to put my ballot in drawer 3. I said that was unacceptable. And they said, well, the only thing you can do now is use our handicap voting system. And I said, well, that's fine, because they told me that that had a 100% uh, scanning rate on, on this because it prints out on an 8.5 by 11 sheet rather than a long, a long form. So I said that was fine, so I spoiled that ballot and I scanned my ID, they printed me out a sheet that had a code on it. I went over to the handicap touchscreen uh, voting system, I put my code in, I filled out my ballot online, it printed my completed ballot on an 8.5 by 11 sheet. I scanned that in the scanner and it actually scanned that, that ballot. So as we were walking out, I talked to my wife and she said that while she was waiting for me, because that took a whole other probably half hour, she said that she noticed that it's still about two out of every three people that tried to scan their ballot that was not scanning their ballots and that most people just put it in drawer three. And uh, walking out as we were going to the car, we noticed that the line was probably about 100 to 150 people long. Uh, and our total voting time at that took us about an hour, a little over an hour. So their, line, their wait had to be very long. So uh, that's our experience. I have no doubt that all these issues definitely disenfranchise a lot of people on voting and probably turned away a lot of people. So thank you. My name's Alfred Lee. I live in Mesa, Arizona. I'm a registered voter in Maricopa County. On election morning, uh, November 8, 2022, I went to vote in person at the local Mormon church. I uh, got in line and they, say, they came out and said the printers were not working. Waited about 45 minutes to get in to an hour got in, filled out my ballot, went to scan it, and the scanners weren't working, uh, not just for me, but for just about everybody else. Some people's went right through, 
They gave me a pen, told me to fill in the dark, dark in the corners of the black boxes it might go through. So I tried that. It didn't work. They put it in the uh, third in the slot in the blue bin and said that my vote would be counted later on that day. Then uh, a little while later, I got a, I went to look up my vote. It said it had been counted. I don't see how that's possible, but um, that was my uh, that was my um, experience with voting this year. Very disappointing. I'm not sure if it's even. Uh... Yeah, so I went to go vote um, in Pinal County, and my wife had no issue when she voted. And both times of the primary and uh, just a couple of days ago when we went to go vote, um, they couldn't find my name in the system. They had to call somebody to verify me. The first time they just did a provisional ballot and just I had to write it out. And they had to write me in and then I was done. Um, this time they couldn't find me again. They told me that it was because I was still under our last address, which was still Maricopa County. So um, they just told me to fill out another provisional again. And then I had to drop it in this little like rectangle box. Um, but then at the same time, they told me I could re-register re too. So they had me re-register with my new address, but then at the same time do a provisional ballot. And that was it. So um, not sure what happened there. We tracked it and it got rejected. So I don't know what's going on. Hello, my name is Dan Fowler and I am a Pima County resident. On November 8th, I went to vote at my voting location with my voting card in hand, as I've done throughout my whole life. When I got to the voting center, they told me my name was not on the voter rolls. They told me I would have to place a provisional ballot, which I did. They told me that I could call two days following the election day, which would have been Thursday, and check the status of my ballot. I called on Thursday, and I was told my ballot would not be counted until November 18th. I find that Holly's unacceptable. I feel I have been cheated out of my vote. Hi, my name is Emily Weinberg, and this is Jalen Tops. And he experienced voter fraud. Um, it started with us registering. We were at Sherry Mountain Community College, and a girl stopped us and asked us if we would like to register. He obliged, and he started writing down the different, um, like filling out the form to do it. And then it came down to party. And as soon as he put that he was um, with the Republican Party, then the lady said, oh, are you sure that's right? And he was like, yeah, everything was right. We didn't think anything of it until we got to election day and only the federal only ballot got printed out. And um, we asked why, why was this? And they said, that's all that you get. And I said, no, that isn't right. Like this isn't, he had everything done on like registered. And they said, well, is he an illegal immigrant? And we said, no, he's not an illegal immigrant. And he's like, when will, did he move here? And I was like, he moved from Buckeye to Goodyear. Like he's been an Arizona resident his whole life. And he's like, well, you have to show proof that you're a resident or else we can't do this for you. And I was like, okay, great. We have his um, photo ID driver's license and we have his um, social security card with us right now to prove to you that he is registered, like that he is a, an American citizen. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, we don't accept that as a form of um, proof of residency. And um, I was like, okay, that's really weird. 
and they continuously like wouldn't give us the full ballot and they said that he was an illegal immigrant and that he wasn't able to do it over and over and over again and we even called the school to tell them about what happened and the dean said that this has happened many different times before but they cannot do anything to stop them hi my name is marley and on voting day i got to the polls at pvcc at 7 p.m and they denied me the right to vote and made me go home even though there was a long line of people still waiting i live in a 55 and older community in maricopa county on election day, I had arrived 15 minutes prior to the doors opening at the voting center, and there was already a half a dozen people ahead of me. Once inside and my ballot was filled out, I turned around and the line was at least 20 people at the tabulators because of the functioning, ill-functioning tabulators that should have been properly tested and ready. I believe it was a form of voter suppression. And we, no, this would be all over the media. There'd be a recount. There'd be a demand for a recount instantaneously if this was a liberal who lost. I can only find one soundbite about how fucked up this all was. You know, you win, you win the Senate race, the next thing you know, like, you know, he could be a president. Yeah, Katie Turr really seemed like when she said that, she had a smirk on her face. Like, she really had stumbled on something really brilliant. <laughs> and, like, the other people on set were like, what? Mm, what? Right? Yeah, it's that Scooby-Doo thing. We're like, mm, mm, <laughs> I don't think we get that thing. I want to move on to your low, Curtis, here, because it's the media scolding us that we need to be patient and wait for the votes to be counted in Arizona and in Nevada. Watch. Several races are still too close to call, including control of both the House and Senate, so we have to be patient. Your vote, your voice, and now your patience. Patience is a huge virtue in the situation we're in right now. I, I'm old enough to remember when Seth Meyers was funny, and, and now it's like lecture time at, at 11 o'clock or 11.30, whatever time it is. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, well, Trace, I'm old enough to also remember when the media lost their minds when Iowa dropped the ball after the Democratic uh, caucuses crashed and burned in early 2020. It's not engaging in conspiracy theories uh, to suggest that it shouldn't take, a, you know, so long. It shouldn't take a week to mm -hmm. count votes. As you pointed out earlier in the show with Brian, I mean, this is ridiculous. And in your common sense as well, 
Um, you know, if we want to have election week, okay, fine. But, you know, you look at Europe, Brazil. Brazil just had a very close runoff. Yep. They have the Amazon to count votes in, and they were able to get it <laughs> turned around same day. In the UK, they stay up overnight to get votes counted. Uh, it's embarrassing, as, as our Bill Iostino said, you know, right. these media journalists uh, saying we need to be patient come off like, uh, you know, yep. DMV workers or disgruntled kindergarten teachers. It just wouldn't fly. None of this would fly if it was Democrats losing and Republicans running the elections. It just wouldn't fly. And it's amazing that it is flying. This is a Lincoln project this week because you knew the moment that the GOP won, we were going to have our this week's media jerk off as they fucking shred DeSantis and say hateful shit about Republicans. I am the media jerk off of the week. I understand what you're saying about DeSantis. The reason why I think DeSantis is so strong is because he can do both things. He can do the performance art that seems to have you so exercised to the base, most of which I don't really know if it's that damaging. He picks a fight with Disney. Does it really affect anybody? I mean, I read the Don't Say Gay, which is not the name of the law. They called it the Don't Say Gay law. It could have been called the Let's Do Things in Schools the Way We Did Five Years Ago law. It really could have. So what I'm saying is he can do both that, but he, yes, he, he knows how to rile up the base. I agree, he's a politician. But he also can be a normal governor. In other words, after the storm, he can stand with President Biden like a normal governor does, and work with them, and then send some migrants to Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> you know, and that's a very powerful thing to have both those elements. Realizing now is, look, we can't win elections with him and the kind of issues that he is going to foist on us. But what he's going to remind them tonight is they cannot win without him if he takes his 30 to 40 percent of the Republican base and, you know, goes home, takes his ball and goes home. Yeah. And I'm going to play some sound a little bit later on about possibly how the race um, or the base, I should say, um, could be looking at other candidates um, in the future or open to other candidates in the future. Ash mm. Ashley, let, let's play some sound that we heard from Liz Cheney, um, I believe, earlier today um, at the Washington Post Global Women's Summit, and then we'll talk. This is certainly not the rollout I'm sure Donald Trump wanted for his announcement tonight. Um, but, you know, it's also not the first time he's been totally detached from reality. I feel confident that uh, he will never be president again. It certainly seems as if the former president feels under threat, considering the things that he said about Ron DeSantis, Glenn Youngkin as well, um, obviously, and the inner workings of the Trump camp ahead of this major announcement happening tonight. Is there any reason to think, Ashley, that this announcement could be anything other than I am running for president in 2024? Again, as Garrett said at the beginning, with Trump, the usual caveat applies that until he has literally said or done something, and even not always then um, do we know he's saying or doing it. But no, all signs point to that he is announcing that he is running for president 
2024. This is something he had even toyed with doing before the midterms. He was hoping to kind of capture what he incorrectly, he and many Republicans incorrectly believed would be a red wave. His aides convinced him to wait. They have tried to. Um, and I, and I, I really want this conversation to land on, on what we should do and what we should do, how we should cover another run for president from him. I think that uh, Donald Trump, in the end, will probably not run. I think that he's going to announce. I think he, he, it, it probably is the, mo the worst nightmare for DeSantis to be getting this kind of attention, for people to say he's in the rear view. So his ego's uh, uh, challenge. But I think at the end of the day, he does not want to be beaten. Uh, as badly as uh, he would probably be beaten if he were to run. So I think he's going to go through all the motions and find an exit ramp if he can. I also think that uh, Democrats and independents ought not be deceived. DeSantis's politics is not much better than Trump's. Correct. So even in all of our dislike of the personality of Trump, let's not uh, feel that DeSantis is an alternative policy-wise or legislative-wise. This is the guy banning books and anti-critical uh, race theory when there is none and anti-LGBTQ. So uh, Anti-Disney and masks. Anti-Disney. Yeah. <laughs> so let's not act like uh, DeSantis is an alternative. He's just a younger, uh, more savvy, polished version of an old man who doesn't know that the uh, people have left the theater. He's still on stage singing and there's <laughs> nobody in the audience. Even the lady that sells the popcorn has gone home, Donald. Uh, but we can't forget about that. And also the anointment of Ron DeSantis is very worrying to me because he's just a, a smoother and more disciplined extremist. And so we can never forget that the ultimate goal, whoever, uh, you know, Fox News and Murdoch and the GOP elites protect and protect and proclaim, the goal is to um, make it easier to have an autocratic system prevail and to convince Americans, and we did have a lot of election deniers who won, that elections are too compromised and too corrupt to be a valid way of choosing leaders. And that opens the door to coup attempts and other kinds of uh, authoritarian machinations. But how, how do pro-democracy people hone that message for the next two years? Well, that's one of the things is to feel confident that the system works and that your vote means something, that your activism, your organizing, your phone banking, canvassing, um, a lot of people who are in my Lucid newsletter, uh, they do those things. And I'm looking forward to congratulating them. And so if you know somebody who skews Democrat but didn't vote, this is the time to contact them and say, you know what, this really does work <laughs> and we need more of it. And the other thing, it's I was actually tearing up when you were speaking to Rua Roman because the results that we've had with um, so many uh, Muslim and black and LGBTQ candidates running for office and winning makes government, U.S. government, reflect the multiracial, progressive, inclusive democracy we actually are. So this was a vote, uh, this was a success for reality versus this brutal attempt by the Republicans to kind of impose minoritarian rule and just turn back the clock and say, no, America is just white Christian and male dominated, right? So these are 
tangible results of organizing, of voting that we need to build on. And I think that's where the confidence and feeling optimistic and having hope that the system works and proof that the system works is, is, is really important. Well, here, here's the thing with DeSantis. It's not just rhetorical, right? It actually, this idea seeps into his governance. Talk me through that. Well, yeah, it seeps into his governance because the way he thinks about the world is that God has put him in that place to rule over Florida. And so when you see this, when he's against trans kids and the don't say gay bill and all of this, this is part and parcel of what he sees his Christian nationalism to be. So when I saw that commercial, I just laughed because I was like, this is exactly who he thinks he is. He thinks that he has dominion over this earth and God has given it to him. And so it's very important to understand with the people who believe with Christian nationalism, like Ron DeSantis or others, they believe that God has given them dominion. And that dominion means they have dominion over everybody who doesn't believe in God, who doesn't think like they do, and that God created this nation for them and specifically for white men. And so I think that's a very important yes. part of what we're seeing here with Christian nationalism. It's also about race. Right. I, I, I'm so glad you, you said that because I wanted to tease that out with you, Reverend, because you corrected me when I called it Christian nationalism and said white Christian nationalism. Why is that distinction important? Well, it's very important because you have, when you use the term Christian nationalism, you're by and large talking about the evangelical Protestant community in the United States and the vast majority of uh, Protestant evangelicals who are communities of color do not vote Republican. It is white Protestants who fall into this category, evangelical, who are following Ron DeSantos, and it is white supremacist. It has a long history um, in the United States of, of, of creating, just as Anthea was saying, a view of what a leader is, and it's a white person, and underneath it, seeping into it, it's a white man, and it is always implicitly, if not bursting through the surface, explicitly racist. Liz Cheney has has indicated that they they do want to keep the focus on Donald Trump, and they believe it's it's somewhat of a misdirection to, uh, in their view, put the blame on law enforcement or the, in their view, the heroes who were who were protecting the Capitol that day, rather than the person who sent the mob to the Capitol and caused all the violence. It, it, they do think it's important to investigate those things and to produce revelations about them, but it, it's not as important as getting to the root causes of the violence. And they think that is entirely the fault of one man, and that man is Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, Deborah, you can you can almost hear the echoes of sort of Liz Cheney's framing of, of 9-11, that airport security is an important issue for the country and the world, but 9-11 was because of one man, bin Laden. I mean, just talk about what what is still to be revealed by the committee in its final product, which is this. So do you see this now as Republicans perhaps facing that they have to acknowledge this is a moment of correction? Uh, this is an opportunity now, this point forward, to return to some of those uh, pillars of the Republican Party. And if they don't, then, like you said, you know, that they are looking at the demise of the party as once they knew it. But while many of those Trump picks made it through the primary, ultimately they didn't make it all the way through. So um, how do you see the GOP making that acknowledgement or using this as an opportunity for a, a correction? 
they must do that. Uh, they had an opportunity after 2018 when they suffered grievous losses. They had an opportunity after 2020 when their incumbent president lost. They did not seize either of those opportunities. This is maybe their last chance to revamp the party to adapt to where the American people really are. Look, even the House, the Republicans would not have taken the House if not for the extreme gerrymandering in places like Florida and Texas. They're really out of step. And don't expect Ron DeSantis to come riding in on a white horse and save the Republican Party. It's not clear he represents anything different than Donald Trump other than a different personality. And governors, whoever successful, have not fared well under the unique white heat of a presidential campaign. Look at uh, Bush and Kasich. But I, I, I just think this, like, uh, people think that um, DeSantis is quite clever, and that part of his cleverness is that he got the, the, the undocumented um, people on planes and flew them to Martha's Vineyard. Like, that is allegedly, like, a funny thing. I just found it to be mean. Mm -hmm. So I think it really depends on He's what your sense of humor is. Clever. I've heard he doesn't have a charisma when he speaks, he, which is the oh, opposite. I've heard that he's very, very clever, and I think Who he's told clever you he was yeah, clever? Who told you he's clever? It's, he's, he's been... Where, it's, it's, it's on been, the notes that he's clever? It's been written about that he's very clever he's and that he's very known, smart. Do you he's know very smart. smart. He's very smart and not known for being a retail politician. He can't do the folksy and, no. like, kissing babies no. and touching hands. But he can do Kissing babies? There is, I don't trust anyone that He does those gotcha moments, like, ha-ha, you're in Martha's Vineyard now. Look how clever I am. I thought he looked like the devil in doing that. We're becoming a third world country. It is Pop on Yang. Here are just some of the headlines. Some of the justice took away the constitutional right to abortion. There's never been a constitutional right to kill anybody. The Hill. Here's a plan. Make fucking Gavin Newsom the president. And now that we know that Nancy Pelosi's husband did open the door... NBC suspended the guy who reported they opened the door. Actual New York Times, I can't get the head, the uh, screen print because it's behind the paywall. How we can make John Fetterman 2.0. You already do. It's Biden. He's brain mushed. And this week, because they just had extra fucking oomph in their getty up, there was a lot of climate. To the climate crisis and its often heartbreaking consequences, Somalia is one example where millions of people are suffering from severe drought and famine. CBS's Deborah Pata reports in depth from inside a Somalia hospital where starving children are fighting to stay alive. We do want to warn you that some of these images are disturbing. These are climate change's youngest victims. A severely malnourished child is hospitalized every minute in Somalia, and mothers here don't need climate experts to tell them why. They know it is hotter than it's ever been. And after more than two years of drought, there is nothing to eat. We've just arrived here at this hospital, and already a 10-month-old baby girl is being admitted with severe malnutrition and complicated by pneumonia. Baby Fatun opens her mouth to cry, 
But there are no tears, only a silent scream. Beds fill up quickly at Bay Hospital's pediatric ICU ward in Baidoa. Every child here is in dire medical need. Moments later, another new arrival. And lastly, they surprisingly realize myocarditis is an actual thing. Hmm. That's very interesting. Very interesting. So, I want to do some lighter fare today. We're going to start with the new Christmas Story remake. And it was really good. Life moves fast. One day you're playing kick the can with kids named Flick and Schwartz. I triple dog dare you! The next thing you know, you're a certified adult. Ralph! Ralph, dear old man. Fragile! He was the best. Ralphie, promise me we're gonna make this a wonderful Christmas. That would make your father so happy. I promise. What had I done? And now it was all up to me? I suggest you start drinking and don't stop till New Year's. Hey, kids, who it's wants to go see Santa? This is amazing. Incredible. We will meet you right here when you're done. Don't let him kick you in the face. Huh? It's the half happy scene. No, uh, no, when it's just us decorating, it kind of feels like child labor. Honey, it's not labor if we don't pay you. Yeah. Cheers. There'll be much mistletoe. My dad made this all look so easy. Mm. That doesn't mean it was easy. Most wonderful time of the year. Schwartz, I triple dog dare you. <sighs> oh, I got it now. Geronimo! That's brutal. It's the most wonderful time. I could feel the Christmas ember beginning to glow again. It was a fantastic movie. I, I gotta admit, I was really blown away. They tied it in very well with the original, so you really get some good... It's got some good feels. I I really liked it. It was squared away. Then my next favorite movie series, which I watch all the time, is John Wick. So here's the trailer for John Wick 4. Saying goodbyes? Saying hello. You think your wife can hear you? No. Then why bother? Maybe I'm wrong. You're going to die. Maybe not. Goodbye to you, my trusted friend. A new day is dawning. New ideas, new rules, new management. We've known each other since we were nine Who is this? The Marquis de Gramo. Challenge him to single combat. Win or lose, it's a way out. I don't sit at the table. Your family does. Please pray for me. 
to that i that series i watch it all the time and i gotta tell you if somebody killed my dog i'd kill everybody i'd fucking kill everybody a short military corner we're gonna have two sound bites one uh bleach uh black rifle coffee uh and nascar and shit marines don't say plus the world's baddest bronco i have been sitting on these for a while and since i didn't want to really go into a, a trans section we'll save it for the next show um, here is a Ford Bronco badass flick. in our Friday race, which is going to be Matt Crafton. We're going to have Noah Gragson race on Saturday, and then we got Ty Dillon racing on Sunday. Uh, why we're here in town, we thought uh, might as well go out and show our support to those that support us with doing supply drops at five different police departments and five different fire departments. Uh, primary objective is just get the message out there, a great coffee and culture, and then just uh, showing support to those that support America. 
Man, this is awesome. Hell on Wheels has teamed up with Black Rifle Coffee Company and, and we're going around to all the first responders here in Nashville. Black Rifle Coffee is hooking them up with caffeine and octane to keep them going, thanking them for what they do and showing them some love. doing this like for content or something like that like oh look what we're doing no we're doing this because we legitimately want to give back to the community we want to make sure they're there because we want to show our support we want to show our appreciation for everything you do for this community everything you do for the people that live in this community three more three more stops we got two more fire departments and we got one more Department. Uh, yeah, appreciate your service. Appreciate Thank all you guys. Guys. Appreciate it. Enjoy the coffee. <laughs> and you guys started shouting at me. I couldn't hear you. You said you want some coffee. I was like, sure, why not? Did you get any coffee? Oh, yeah. It's all inside now. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I appreciate it, though. No worries. You actually caught me with my kids, too. So. Hello, Wheels. Mission accomplished. All y'all are some ass kickers. Now let's go down Broadway. Just throw coffee at people's heads and uh, see what happens. Awesome day showing support to those that support us. Now it's off to the next one. We're gonna set up NASCAR for an awesome weekend uh, out of the track. Uh, today we're setting up at Nashville Speedway for the Rally 400. Uh, gonna be an awesome race. We have Matt Crafton racing on Friday. We have Noah Gregson racing on Saturday. And then we got Ty Dillon racing on Sunday. Black Rifle is in the fan zone at NASCAR in Tennessee, and we are super excited. We're passing out a ton of coffee, giving out stickers, and here with our racers doing meet and greets. Being my first NASCAR event, actually I'm pretty excited. Um, different world to different culture. I, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens, excited to meet new people as we do this thing, and let's just go, let's have a good time. Saturday night, we invited a bunch of first responders, law enforcement, military veterans, active duty, uh, and retired to the Valentine, where we did a appreciation of that for them. Uh, served them dinner, interacted, just got to know them a little bit better, uh, and just show them a little bit of our appreciation for everything that they do. Uh, so we're out here this morning and waking up some fans with some Black Rifle coffee, giving them some uh, free koozies, trying to wake them up, get them ready for the race today. we got a lot of great fans and uh, want them out there wearing our Black Rifle stuff. I was riding around with Ty Dillon. We was throwing the koozies out and made a game out of it. We was trying to make some cornhole boards, hit people with them, moving targets, you know. Oh, I've been having a blast with it. You know, most of the time I'm sitting behind my phone screen and talking to millions of people. So getting out and getting to see everybody's been really, really cool. 
for me, it's just, I love every race day, seeing the fans, getting the day going, and just driving hard, putting it all on the line for three and a half hours, and uh, never looking back. Being, being in the pits, just seeing how everything ran uh, behind the scenes uh, with an organization as great uh, as they are, like it was just flawless and smooth. Motorsports uh, enthusiasts are just extremely loyal. Like they, they know their drivers, they love their drivers, they know everything about the sport. Customers and the attendees of these NASCAR races, you can just truly see that it's aligned with our brand because we're just America's coffee. Uh, NASCAR is America's sport. And it's just getting out there and being able to tie those two together and then show them how we're just out to do epic shit and enjoy life. Black Rifle Coffee, we are in Nashville. We Who the fuck is Chessie Puller? I should have just gone conventional army. All right, listen up, Marines. This is your safety brief. I trust you. Libo. My favorite sexual position? <laughs> Abstinence. What happens on November 10th? I forget. This is definitely what I signed up for. I mean, do we really need close air support? Man, I love this Camp Lejeune water. Hey Gunny, is it true that recon isn't special forces? Why would you even think that? We're just regular Marines. Yeah, of course I trust my platoon with my sister. She's in the barracks with them right now. Our dress uniforms fucking suck. No beers for me, thanks. I got a battalion run tomorrow. Hey man, are you a Marine? Ex-Marine. I'm staying sober at this little port. Hey guys, before we get too heated, remember the Geneva Convention. Hua. When I got to Iraq and seen I was using an M16A4 while everyone else had M4s, freedom bummer. Have you lost your motherfucking mind? It's fucking cold outside. Put your fucking mitts in them pockets. I'm definitely gonna shave on leave. This is just too much. I always bring apricots for amphibious landings. Bro, I walk right into the VA, they fix everything right then and there. Man, I love government healthcare. John Bassalone? No, not ringing a bell. Did you know our paychecks say Department of the Navy? It's because we're like the little sisters. God, that's so cool. Of course I'll lend you money. I know you're good for it. Pendleton, fuck. I wanted 29 palms. I don't know who James Mattis is. Hey, that was Gunny. He said we could take a half day. Man, I'm just so glad I never deployed. War is scary. Ooh, uh. Dude, we can't clear rooms with the Benelli M4. Next, you're gonna tell me we can't open with grenades. I've got terrible news. Hey, get those floozies out of the barracks, please. No, JFK was a president. He was in the Navy. Yeah, you know, we've never had a Marine president. But we did have Lee Harvey Oswald. Ooh. I don't know about y'all, but Marine dudes are the smartest guys I've ever met. I'm not doing shit for Chesty. Fuck Chesty. There's absolutely no way that all Marines are riflemen. We're not. We suck. <laughs> Essentially what the what downrange is gonna look for me. Whoa. Right about here. Alright! Here we go. Here we go. gonna compare the Bronco to this but I think that the Bronco is just it's like this is more like old-school nostalgia and then the Bronco is a little more new fancy sexy awesome I don't drink that 
<laughs> I mean, it's just a good day when you get to shoot a fucking 50 cal, you know? I shoot so damn fast! What the fuck? Feels like I wanna. If you had to compare. Feels it to like I wanna go wrong. run! <laughs> I think it fixed my meniscus. Matt, what happened to your meniscus? Just like that. What'd you think? I think that was pretty oh, fucking dude. rad. Like here is, as you guys can see right behind me, that's where the dish is. So I was eating a lot of that overpressure. It felt pretty good, honestly. I think the hardest part today, Jim, is uh, maintaining a flaccid penis. <laughs> How was it? Man, that was dope. Yeah, that was dope. That thing fucking rips. Go, 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 go. I felt like rainbow. Like a Mexican Rambo. They got him, El Rambo. Hold like your left hand, smiling at the camera right here. Can you do that? <laughs> so right now, um, you know, it's fun range day, but obviously we have to kind of make our time worth it. And so we're setting up the Phantom camera. We're seeing what, 76,000? 76,000.09 frames per second, which is a lot of frames per second. Dude, I got so much coffee in that mug. Ah, ah damn, so I'm good at So, fan, there's really uh, there's no point to this other than it's super fun. That's just old, good old-fashioned fun right there. Finally a man, guys. It's your, it's your M60 bar mitzvah. You have now become a brass master. <laughs>
We're wasting all the gaff tape. Okay, there. That should be good. Hold. I'm gonna need three minutes alone. Yeah. <laughs> With the dog. <laughs> With the Damn, dog. Girl. Dude, that that looks like a chick that would be at Aubrey Marcus's <laughs> fucking barbecue. <laughs> three, two, one. major malfunction. I don't think that's how it's supposed to work. This is what we call hillbilly fruit ninja. Okay? It's gonna be called bowling for freedom. <laughs> Once you get your machine guns ready, I'm gonna roll these motherfuckers like cannonballs. Y'all are gonna shoot it. That's some badass shit. And then finally our This Is America. I play this not as the worst soundbite, but it's the best soundbite. It was Ben Shapiro. It's kind of like my closing statement will be. Enjoy. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America. What exactly is going to happen in the House once Republicans do take over? So there's been a lot of talk from the Republican base about investigate, investigate, investigate. So here is the thing, guys. Investigate the things that need investigating. Sure, Hunter Biden's business contacts. And whether those actually tie to Joe, not just to go after Hunter Biden, because that doesn't matter. The question is whether Joe Biden was benefiting from Hunter's business contacts and from the giant grab bags of cash that Hunter was picking up in China and Ukraine. Right? That is worthy of an investigation. But all the people who are calling for, for example, Joe Biden to be impeached. Good luck with that. First of all, you're not going to have even the votes inside the Republican caucus to do that. Second of all, even if you do, you then run headlong into a Democrat Senate. What exactly would be the purpose of something like that? The truth is that Republicans job in the House of Representatives is going to be to propose regular order when it comes to budgets. It's going to be to stymie Joe Biden's worst legislation to prevent him from getting a lot of his agenda across the finish line. One of the newly elected GOP representatives in New York, his name is George Santos. He says, listen, I want to focus less on the investigations and, and more on actually just obstructing Joe Biden's legislative agenda. Hunter Biden, Mar-a-Lago raid, DOJ school board memo, the border crisis. Where do you stand on pushing for these investigations, noting that you just said uh, inflation was priority for your voters. You know, my constituents didn't send me here to waste time. They sent me here to work. Although there's part our party, if parts of our party want to go into these investigations, that's their prerogative. I'm here to deliver results. I'm here to deliver prosperity. I'm here to defend the American dream. And that's making Americans life easier. Again, this would be the way that Republicans are actually going to win back seats. I know that we've all forgotten about the baseline, you have to govern, the baseline of why don't you focus on the agenda? But all of the use of the institution of Congress in order to make headlines for yourself, it turns out that's a really, really negative thing. Whether you're a Democrat or whether you're a Republican, this is not what we demand from our plumbers. This is not what we demand from our accountants. This is not what we demand from our lawyers or our doctors. What we demand from them is to do a job. Only in Congress do we demand that members of Congress, senators and Congress people, do my job, okay? My job is not their job. 
I spoke to the House Republican Caucus a couple of years ago, and I literally said this to them. I said, your job is to go out and it is to govern and it is to represent principle as best you can while also making the compromises necessary in order to incrementally forward the agenda. It's my job to talk about the principles. We don't have the same job. In other words, if you want to go into the commentary business, go into the commentary business. If you should be in government, be in government. But because so many members of both parties now wish to be in commentary and not in government, I'm talking about like the AOCs of the world on the left side of the aisle, and I'm talking on the right side of the aisle about people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Governing is not quite the same thing as speaking out publicly. And when you look to your political leadership as sort of the, the prophets who are going to stand for principle, I've always been bewildered by this. They are people you delegate power to do a job. That's it. That is what a representative democracy is about. These are not people who you elect because they are supposed to be the people who are your moral leaders. That is a form of idolatry. That's building a golden calf and worshiping it. You literally vote for the people who you then suggest are going to lead you morally. That's weird. That's not where I get my moral leadership. That's not where you should get your moral leadership either. I get moral leadership from my parents, from great thinkers of the past, from, from religious leaders of all stripes. Like that's, that's where I get my moral leadership. I don't get my moral leadership from a bunch of schmucks who were a used car salesman five seconds ago, and now they're representing me in Congress. A weird, weird thing. So when you look to Congress to sort of act as a cathartic moral agent for you, you're looking to the wrong place. That is not their job. And most people are not into that. Most people are not particularly interested in that. I have been getting clubbed on Twitter, but I want to put it out to the 50 people that listen and explain it. Not that any of you follow me because I'm a nobody in a bunker who's sick and is unemployed and financially almost in peril and my life sucks my steaming pile of shit. Trump running for president is really dumb. Trump will not win. There's no fucking way he's going to win. They're going to fortify it. If you haven't figured out mega crowd what they did in 2020 and what they just did in 2022 they're going to do in 2024 they do mass bailout mass mail out ballots to everybody they harvest it in in an illegal way force people to vote they've even got counts of people getting filled in ballots they just had a sign then they don't check any of it they don't look for signatures they don't do fucking shit and they count that crap then they make sure on game day, the day all of us go out to vote, or the early voters in person, all the machines suck, there's no ballots, there's no ink, you can't print, and they suppress same-day vote, they win. With Trump, you then add on, look at the media just did. They made people believe that the GOP are the only people that have ever denied elections. They made people believe that democracy was in peril for fucking fascists. And the people saying it were the fucking fascists. But it worked. You barely won the House. You lost seats in the Senate. We lost governor races. We lost all sorts of races. They conjobbed the whole country. Now, and remember, that was just Trump's illegal Mar-a-Lago raid that didn't find anything, but it was all a ruse. The January 6th that hasn't found anything is just a ruse. Now you put Trump on the ticket. What the fuck do you think these crooks are going to do? Every institution is liberal. You can't win. You can't beat these people. They have found the way to rig it. And they've done it. 
The moment you do the same things they're doing and start ballot harvesting, the media is going to call it illegal. You're going to get busted, just like we see all the time. It's always righties going to jail for fucking voter fraud. It isn't the guy that stuffed 100 ballots in. Put on top of that, you don't work on inflation. You don't work on any of the things that are fucked up. And all you do is investigate. Nothing's going to happen. You don't have a majority. Hell, when you try to do Clinton, you still couldn't do it because you didn't have a big enough majority in the Senate. And that motherfucker on tape lied. Everybody knew he lied. Dead to rights. If he was Nixon... He would have had to resign. But we're not that country now. We vote for DNR. We're a bunch of goddamn sheeple who just vote for D or R. And we listen to our preferred media and they say the other person's the devil and we believe it and we go out and vote for DNR. But as I tweeted this week and got clubbed for it, if you really drop your ballot bias for two seconds, Trump and motherfucking Biden are embarrassing. That's the best we can do. Trump was a great president. His policies were fantastic. He made the country better, but he was on Twitter acting like a fucking infantile, and it was embarrassing as fucking shit. Then he went the day of the counting of the election. He never should have been there. He should have been somewhere else saying they stole the election because they stole the election. Everybody knows they stole the election. Only fucking far-left idiots on the media. No, they know. They know, too. Everybody knows they stole that election. But we deserve better. And yeah, DeSantis isn't the greatest thing since sliced bread, but goddamn, he fights, he works for the right, he fights woke, but he doesn't do stupid shit. He doesn't go out there and just show his ass every fucking day. But people don't want to read the tea leaves. And what's going to end up happening is these motherfuckers are going to do a bunch of investigations that aren't going to lead to anything because you don't want the majority to impeach anybody. And the Democrats, Biden could go out today, suck off ZG Ping, take the money on camera, like Obama, wait till after the midterms and I'll hook you up, Russia. He, we could do whatever he wants. The Dems are not going to turn on him. It's Uncle Joe. The media, he could shoot a motherfucker during a press conference in the face. The media ain't going to turn on Joe. He's got the magic D. And I don't mean D's nuts. He's a Democrat. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. And all you're going to do is add to the media going, these people aren't serious. They don't care about you. They don't care about the economy. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it goes down to the the simple, the best way I can explain this. We're living in a world where my favorite podcast is Fly on the Wall. It's David Spade, Dana Carvey. God, I look forward to that. Really, my favorite is Door Bumper Clear, but it off so I don't have it every week and even though I don't agree with them and even though because I don't rap they won't put me on their fucking show when I ask a goddamn question but I'm not bitter Fly on the Wall is great and you get to see how the sausage was made when SNL was funny 
Oh, I forgot to pay. Well, I'm going to play that as we go out. As we go out, I'm going to play Dave Chappelle. Because I thought it was great, and he got crushed for this. And damn it, I forgot all about that. And I had it queued up, but I forgot to fucking talk about it. We'll talk about it in a second. But you find out how they make the sausage when SNL was a really funny show. And this week, they brought on Al Franken. Now, ever since Al Franken got busted for the little photo during Me Too... Let's be honest, probably shouldn't have resigned, but he did. He did the right thing because it was a joke. It wasn't that big a deal. And as we find out, Me Too doesn't make anything because Joe Biden could fuck all sorts of shit and sniff people's hair and nobody cares. Clinton can bone the world. Nobody cares. But since that happened to him, he's a hateful motherfucker. He goes on MSNBC and says, hateful, hateful shit. Well, they brought him on. They never talked about it. Now, granted, the show never talks about politics, but that guy's a lightning rod. He's a fucking asshole. A hateful, far-left, progressive cocksucker. And he went on a normal podcast that's very popular. No big. You don't see John Voigt going on shit like that. He's not even hateful, but he's conservative. You don't see anybody else who's conservative or espouses conservative views be brought out into polite society and able to just go on shows like nothing's wrong. That's the world we live in. You can't win. You have to be smarter. You have to get somebody that does sway blacks and Latinos who will move the electorate in a way... That even if the mail-in voting's going on, they're not voting for the left. If you grab Trump, you're going to have, starting now, it's already started. I didn't play the sound bites. There's all sorts of sound bites, but I didn't want to play the sound bites. It's just Trump, 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 Trump. They're jerking off with both hands and a bucket of KY because now they can make some money. And these people hate that motherfucker. He's been living rent-free in their head for fucking ever. Ever! It'll be wall-to-wall lose democracy to the orange man, Nazis, insurrectionists, seditionists. Fucking come up with something. It'll be uber-duber-pooper-scooper-maga for two fucking years. And you think that time article that I throw up all the time about fortifying, that will be child's play. They'll try to get them off the ballot in states. They will fucking cook the books worse than ever. And it won't be just swing districts. It won't be just a few places that stop counting. The electorate has shifted. 5% more voted for fucking GOP and they barely won the house because they were cooking the goddamn books. They're mailing out entire voting rolls and then they go and grab them. They are Uber driving votes. But you got to break the code. It doesn't matter that in 2018, ballot harvesting was illegal. 
Now it's okey fucking dokey artichokey. They think it's fine because it benefits the left. And our entire media establishment is the Papa Bangal in a little dress. Dear leader, that's what we get every night. Every fucking night, it's nothing but the left is the greatest thing since liquid tide with bleach, the tide pen, and sliced bread. You can't win with Trump against that. It'll just be 2020 again. And we will be in the worst peril ever. This is two successive cycles that the Senate is split Our country is split. Yes, the left will be in more peril in 24, but the House Republican, Senate Democrat, and with our shitty-ass Republicans who just 14 went over for interracial gay sex marriage, like that's in jeopardy off a statement in a opinion about abortion that it could be said about of these other things that the court never had precedence to even rule it. That's true. They don't have the right for state laws. They, they don't have that right. But they did it anyway. 14 Republicans voted for that. Most of the people that just got voted in the office are for fucking New York and California. They're libs. They're not conservative. They just got an R behind their name. You're not going to accomplish shit. You're just going to fuck up again. And we're going to have four more years of Biden where he calls a lid at 10 o'clock a.m. after he eats his oatmeal and falls a fucking sleep and shits in his pants. And our country's being run by Ron Klain. Far-left bullshit everywhere. You can't win. And what's scary, if he doesn't get nominated, we won't win. Because all these stupid mega motherfuckers can't see the forest through the trees that is not about Trump. It's about the country. And then they won't vote. So they're going to sit on their hands. The Democrats are going to lead the country off the fucking cliff. And we're going to turn into fucking Brazil and shit. A fucking far left state. You're not going to be able to have a gun. Voting will be mail-in. And they'll make sure that red districts, they just don't get back with USPS. Because that happened last time too. We have to vote somebody that can grab some of the African-American vote and some of the Latino vote away from the left to dampen their numbers. Yeah, the argument can be made. They're just going to make up fake ballots. They probably did it this time. But if more and more people start saying, hey, I didn't vote for this motherfucker, how? We got to peel off the blinders. We have to get around the media who's just going to support every crooked lefty fucking bullshit plan they have for elections and every election they steal. We have to peel off the blinders.
till enough Americans go, hey, you know this mail-in ballot and videos of motherfucking shoving hundreds of ballots into fucking ballot boxes? That don't look right. Or those testimonials finally go mainstream somewhere. And they talk about how same day they tried to not let me vote. So I don't think we should investigate the world. I don't think we should try to go after Biden and impeach him without a majority. That's fucking stupid. Sure, we can do what the left does and just pass a lot of shit to try to fix inflation and the Senate don't pass it. But at least you did something. But the last time the Republicans were in charge, they did 90 fucking votes to repeal Obamacare that didn't happen and a bunch of live birth abortion banning that didn't happen. But they didn't do anything else. So, that's my two cents from the cheap seats. I'm not anti-Trump. I'm just a realist. He's not going to win. They're going to fortify the fuck out of this shit, and we're tits up. So, this wraps up to another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com to find links to everything. I'm going to close out with the stand-up comedy of Dave Chappelle that somehow was anti-Semitic, but it was the funniest shit I ever saw on SNL. It's 11 minutes long, so if you don't want to listen to it, when I say goodbye, don't listen. But I wish SNL was more. Do I think Dave Chappelle... Hates white people? Probably. But I don't give a fuck. He's funny. It was humor. It was comedic. And we don't get that out anywhere other than Gutfeld, who is the number one in late night TV. So, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yizzy ass. We're uh, late on this because I felt like asshole. So, let's go with uh, Tuesday. Tuesday, 22. Do a Thanksgiving one. Thanksgiving is going to suck for me. I can eat a little turkey and maybe a little bit of mashed potatoes, but I'm not going to be able to eat a whole lot. And I'm sleeping back in a chair because the bed stopped working and I still have to wait till December 13th to do a fucking food test before I take out my gallbladder. Maybe my life will improve. But I've got to sell my Jeep and my boat and I'm about to go bankrupt and life sucks. So I faked it for a two hour podcast. But deep inside, I'm not happy. Feel sorry for me if you got time. I could use it. Y'all take care. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Chappelle. So, so please be patient. You know, uh, I didn't know that Donald Trump was gonna win the election. I did suspect it. Seemed like Hillary was doing well in the polls, and yet, I know the whites. 
You guys aren't as full of surprises as you used to be. And I think I speak for all of black America when I say that we are all praying for Omarosa. I don't even know what she's doing in the news. But America's done it. We've actually, we've actually elected an internet troll as our president. And the whites are furious. I've never seen anything like it. I haven't seen white people this mad since the OJ birth. There's a split screen with white people on both sides. Ah! I'm not saying I'm enjoying it. I'm just saying it's just, I've never seen this before. I watched a white riot in Portland, Oregon on television the other night. News said they did a million dollars worth of damage. Every black person was watching that like amateurs. <laughs> so I'm staying out of it. I'm just gonna take a knee like Kaepernick and let the whites figure this out amongst themselves. Because for us, you know what I mean? We've been here before. We've been here before. And I don't even think it's the most important thing we're dealing with, man. Don't forget, don't forget all the things that are going on. Shootings. What do you think about that? All these shootings in the last year, worst, the worst mass shootings in the history of the United States, Pulse nightclub, which they said ISIS did, and then it turned out that wasn't exactly what happened. And if that is what happened, then ISIS is scarier than I thought, because they have very deep cover operatives. Look, guys, we're going down deep for this one. I might have to uh, get a grinder account and uh, <laughs> jerk a few guys off and throw them off the trail. I don't think the guy was in ISIS. What happened was he pledged allegiance to ISIS before he did what he did, which is not the same as being in ISIS, you know what I mean? Like, I was gonna have sex with a girl, and right before I did it, I screamed out, Wu-Tang. That don't mean I'm in the Wu-Tang clan. I'm just shouting Wu-Tang out. It's more shootings than I can literally count. You can't even go to the goddamn zoo without seeing a shooting nowadays. They shot a gorilla in my local zoo. And the Cincinnati police said, shooting that gorilla was the toughest decision this department ever had to make. I said, well, you about to see a lot of niggas in gorilla costumes in Cincinnati. Why do we have to say that? Why do we have to say that black lives matter? Now, I admit that is not the best slogan, but McDonald's already took, you deserve a break today. <laughs> and I guess it's kind of catchy because everyone else is biting it. Even the police bite it. Blue lives matter. What was he, born a police? That is not a blue life. That's a blue suit. If you don't like it, take that suit off, find a new job, because I'm gonna tell you right now, if I could quit being black today, I'd be out the game. <laughs> I did the next best thing. I, I became a rich black person, which is harder than you think, because, you know, your life becomes gentrified, like Brooklyn. <laughs> all your black friends stop moving out, and all these new white friends start moving in. 
You find yourself saying things to friends you grew up with that you never dreamed you'd say. I'm sorry, nigga, you can't come with us. There's only enough room in the balloon basket for four. Ta-ta. <laughs> Donald Trump, he did it. He's, he's our president. I feel bad saying it. I'm staying in a Trump hotel right now. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to make a good president, but he makes a swell hotel suite, I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> housekeeping comes in in the morning, cleans my room, and I just, hey, good morning, housekeeping. Grab a big handful of pussy and say, you know. <laughs> Boss said it was okay. Sorry about that, Lauren. <laughs> All my black friends who have money said the same thing when Trump got elected. That's it, bro. I'm out. I'm leaving the country. You coming with us? Nah, I'm good, dog. I'm gonna stay here and get this tax break, see how it works out. <laughs> Cause that's how it is being Dave Chappelle. First time I got some money, it didn't work out like that. Most unlikely thing that happened ever was a black president came out of nowhere, like, come on, everybody, let's start thinking about everyone else. Oh, nigga, I just got this money! I didn't even think it was possible. <laughs> Trump went to go see Obama last week. You see that? Yeah, did you see Trump's face when he came out the meeting? <laughs> Trump got sunned. He looked shook. Trump looked like he got shook. He probably came in there, hi, how are you, Mr. President? Good to see you. Hello, Donald. How you feeling? Oh, God, got to tell you, this job looks like it's going to be a lot harder than I thought. Really? It's not that hard. I mean, at least you get to be white while you're doing it. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Nervous? Come on, man, relax. You haven't even met the aliens yet. It's gonna be all right. <laughs> I don't know what he's gonna do. But I know Obama did a good job. Obama did a good job. I think we'll all miss him when he's gone. Do you agree with this? And thank God he lived to tell about it. This is the first black dude that ever heard America's secrets. And I'm happy he lived. If, 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 if someone threatened our president, that is the only time that I'd want him to be stereotypically black. <laughs> We'd be on the news like, uh, an assassination attempt was carried out today on the United States president. In a bizarre sequence of events, the president himself was armed, <laughs> fired back, killing four people that had nothing to do with the incident. <laughs> he then ripped off his shirt, screamed out Chi-Town for some reason. <laughs> you know, before I go, I do want to say one thing, and this is not a joke, but I think it's important that I say this because they're marching up the street right now as we speak. A few weeks ago, I went to the White House for a party. It was the first time I'd been there in many years. And 
and it was very exciting. And BET had sponsored the party, so everyone there was, was black. <laughs> and it was beautiful. I walked through the gates. You know, I'm from Washington, so I saw the bus stop, well, the corner where the bus stop used to be, where I used to catch the bus to school and dream about nights like tonight. It was a really, really beautiful night. And at the end of the night, everyone went into the West Wing of the White House, and it was a huge party. And everybody in there was black except for Bradley Cooper for some reason. <laughs> and on the walls were pictures of all the presidents of the past. Now, I'm not sure if this is true, but to my knowledge, the first black person that was officially invited to the White House was Frederick Douglass. They stopped him at the gates. Abraham Lincoln had to walk out himself and escort Frederick Douglass into the White House. And it didn't happen again, as far as I know, until Roosevelt was president. When Roosevelt was president, he had a black guy over and got so much flack from the media that he literally said, I will never have a nigger in this house again. I thought about that and I looked at that room and I saw all those black faces in Bradley and I saw... <laughs> and I saw how happy everybody was. These people who had been historically disenfranchised. And it made me feel hopeful. And it made me feel proud to be an American. And it made me very happy about the prospects of our country. So, in that spirit, I'm wishing Donald Trump luck. And I'm going to give him a chance. And we, the historically disenfranchised, demand that he give us one too. Thank you very much.